the moment we are born, the moment that you and I are born, we climb up and we sit down on the throne of our hearts. And we want to become our own ruler. We want to become our own God. We want our own rules to follow. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. And the things that we want become more important than anything else. And so in a sense, we become slaves to our own desires and our own wants. Despite the fact that our desires and wants bring us trouble, bring us hardship, shame, guilt, and loss. And yet we continue to sit on that throne and pursue the God of our own comfort and pursue the kind of stuff that, you know, will soon be in garbage bags at the front curb of our house. But the Lord Jesus Christ came to give himself for our sins and rescue us from all of that. And God the Father raised him from the dead. And so our sins have been taken away. And now we have life, real life, new life, eternal life to look forward to. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And when the Holy Spirit brings us to believe that gospel, we gladly step off the throne of our hearts and let Christ take his rightful seat. Because the gospel fills us with joy. It fills us with joy because we've been set free from guilt and we've been set free for life, for new life. That is the gospel. It is so simple, so powerful. But because we live in an evil age and because we have an evil nature. You and I have the tendency to drift away from that gospel into one of two main errors or perversions of that gospel. Okay, error number one, perversion number one of that gospel. The gospel just seems way too easy to be true. that, That Christ could love us, that he would love us, that he would save us, and rescue us, not because of anything we had done, but simply because of the free, unearned grace of God, just seems way too easy to be true. And so you think, well, surely Christ can't save me, just on his own. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to add some things to his life and death and resurrection. And by adding those things, by doing those extra things, I'm going to help God save me. So we begin adding things. We begin doing some extra things because we think, I'm going to help God save me. And so we love Jesus, but surely it's a little bit scary just to trust in him alone for salvation. And so I'm going to help God save me by adding some things, by doing these extra things to make it a little bit easier for God to save me. And so we start filling our lives with all kinds of religious activity, so that we can help God save us. So you join a church. You put your kids in Sunday school. You get that fish and you put it on your car. But then you drive like an idiot. 
You get that Bible app for your iPhone, but then you never read it. You, um, you start declining to have a drink when you're out with your friends because you say, because I don't drink, but really you do. Or, or you weigh in very loudly in, in conversations about moral values, moral living, and, and how our society is, is, is losing out on all that, even though you don't live that way. Or you volunteer for everything because you want to make sure how everyone sees how helpful and how selfless you are. And so you start filling your life with all these religious activities because you're doing them because you want to help God. You, you, you think, I'm doing all these things. Certainly, certainly this has got to make it a little bit easier for God to be happy with me. It's got to make it a little bit easier for God to save me. Let's, let's go a little bit deeper now, because I know some of you have moved beyond that kind of an outward thing. You study the Bible. You pray. You are in worship regularly. You, you join one of our small group Bible studies and you get involved in that. All of these things, good things that we should be doing. All of these things, things that I will be encouraging you to be doing. But now you start thinking, wow, uh, Look at all these Bible studies that I'm doing. Okay, look, look at how good of a Christian I'm becoming. And even though you might not even express it, maybe it's a subconscious thing, but you start kind of thinking, you know, I, I got to be making it a little bit easier for God. I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I got to make it a little bit, I got to be making it a little bit easier for Him to save me. Listen, we, we study the Bible, we worship. But we do these things to grow deeper in our relationship with Jesus. We do these things because they bring us closer to Jesus. We do these things because they strengthen our faith in Him. Okay? We don't do these things to be saved. We are saved. And so we do these things. You get the difference? So, gospel error number one is that we quit trusting in Jesus for salvation and we begin trusting in our own religious activities. And, and we might even be doing the same stuff. You know how what we always promote and encourage. We're in worship. Okay? You're in, we're in worship regularly. We're in Bible study. We're serving. But if you are doing those things to check items off some kind of a good Christian checklist, those things aren't going to be benefiting you. In your reading, in your studying of the Bible, is it deepening you in your relationship with Christ? Or is it just kind of making you feel like, well, I'm doing you know, the things I'm supposed to be doing as a Christian? If we are digging into the Word to check something off, a spiritual checklist our digging into the Word isn't going to strengthen our faith. It's not going to do, it's not going to help us the way it's supposed to. It's not going to help us grow in our relationship with God. And it's going to lead us down into this error number one of thinking that we've got to help God save us. That we've got to add some things to what Christ has done for us so that we are a good Christian or so that God can be happy with us. And that is error number one. Then there's error number two. Gospel perversion number two. Gospel error number two. Okay, you hear the gospel message. You hear how the gospel message, how God reconciled the world to himself in Christ. And you think, 
hey, this is the greatest message ever. More joy than guilt. Awesome. Now I'm going to go live however I want to. I'm going to do whatever I want. Why? Because Christ will have to forgive me. More joy than guilt. All right? So this is gospel error number two. God has forgiven me, so now I can live however I want to live. All right? And so here's what it looks like in your life. Um, you go to church, we'll say once a week. You sing some songs. You endure pastor's sermon. Um, you go out for a cup of coffee, you chat with some friends, and then you go home. But then the rest of the week, you don't ever think about God again. You don't think about anything you just heard, and you certainly don't live like it. You kind of live, and we were talking about this morning in Bible study, you kind of live like, like you have fire insurance. And, and when someone sees how you're living and, and knows you go to church on Sunday, how can you live that way? And you say, well, I was baptized when I was a kid, and I go to church on Sundays. You're more or less telling them, I bought fire insurance. So, you know, should some destruction come, I will be saved. Because I've done the right things. But now I can live how I want to. That, this is a perversion of the gospel. This is not the gospel. The gospel is not, well, I can live however I want now because Jesus will have to forgive me. Try visualizing that with your parenting, okay? What does that look like in your parenting? Okay, my child, um, I really want to love you well. I want to do a good job of loving you so you can do whatever you want. And there will be no consequences. No shaping, no discipline. You do whatever you want and we're cool. Now how wicked of a parent is that? How evil of a parent would that be? That is error number two. You say that you are a Christian, but the gospel makes no difference in your life. You maybe show up here, but you live an entirely different way the rest of your life. Because you think, well, Christ will just have to forgive me. But since you go to church, everything's cool between you and God, and you can go and you can live however you want. This is not the gospel, error number two. All right. It does not work this way. The good news is that the Lord wants to save us from our tendency to drift away from the gospel into one of these two errors. The Lord wants to save us from believing things that might sound like gospel, but aren't really gospel at all. And so he gives us Galatians. Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some churches that he planted in the Roman province of Galatia. There's four of them that we know of, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. You can read about those in Acts chapter 13 and 14, how Paul started those. Paul planted churches there generally by going to those cities and then he would visit the synagogues in those cities where the Jewish people were and he would begin, that's how he would begin, and he would begin by telling the Jewish people that the promised Savior they were looking forward to has come. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He lived the perfect life in our place and then he died an innocent death on the cross for all people. The gospel. He was preaching the gospel to them. And many of them loved hearing it. And they received it with joy. 
But some of them thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. If this is a free gift, um, if this is a free gift, then what about the ceremonial laws in the Old Testament that Moses gave us? Don't we have to still keep those? So there's a little confusion there. Well, eventually, some men, some people from Jerusalem came. Teachers from Jerusalem came from the church there, and they called themselves Christians. They believed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. But they began, they went to those churches in Galatia, and they began teaching them and telling them that in order to receive the benefits of Jesus' life and death, you very much did have to keep those ceremonial laws that Moses gave in the Old Testament. So you had to be circumcised. You had to follow the Sabbath law. There were certain kinds of food you could not eat and so on and so forth. These men, these people, which we know as, they're called Judaizers, got a lot of these new Christians in Galatia to drift into error number one, adding things to what Jesus has done for us. So Paul, their, their first pastor, had to do something. Paul wrote them this letter. And so Paul begins the letter like this. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. So Paul kicks off with, hey, these aren't my little ideas about Jesus. I wasn't sent or called by men. I was called by Jesus Christ directly. So this isn't my take on things. This is my take on Jesus. I write to you as a sent one, an apostle, a messenger. And my brothers... In other words, my, my companions in the ministry, they are in agreement with me as to what the gospel is. Okay? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. So right from the get-go, Paul reminds them what the gospel is. What it really is. He gave himself for our sins. You are a sinner. And I am a sinner. That is fundamental to our understanding of what God has done for us through Jesus. You and I have fallen short of what God has asked us to be. Oh, you, you might be better than that buddy of yours, you know, you might be a little farther along in your spiritual walk than somebody else you know. But you are most definitely a sinner. You have most definitely pursued as God other things that aren't God instead of pursuing God himself. You have most definitely lied. You have most definitely been indifferent and apathetic you have most definitely harbored in your heart anger, unforgiveness, jealousy, bitterness, rage. And even if you haven't acted on those things, those things are inside you. You are not a sinner 
because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. You get the difference? You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Inside, internally, we are broken inside. We are broken inside. And this is why, this, this is why um, error number one, this, this kind of a gospel that really isn't a gospel, that's why this, which was the main problem in Galatia, isn't going to work. It's not going to work because it doesn't matter how many religious activities we do to, to make God you know, more happy with us or um, you know, make it easier for Him to save us. Because no matter what you do externally, internally, we, you and I, are morally wretched. So here's the thing that has to happen. Two things have to happen inside each of us that we cannot do on our own, but that Jesus has done for us by giving himself for our sins. First thing, we need a, a righteousness far better than our own. We need a perfect righteousness. Well, Jesus came here and he obeyed the law perfectly. And now God has given the results of that to you and I. God has given that perfection that Jesus earned to you. God sees his perfection in you and me. That's thing number one. Thing number two, you and I have all of these mess-ups and screw-ups from our past, from our whole life through. Those things got to be paid for. Those things got to be punished. So when Jesus went to that cross, he suffered the wrath of God for all of our sins, for all of those mess-ups. He gave himself for our sins. So now God sees us as blameless because of Jesus. That's the good news. Jesus, the only gospel there is. He's the good news. He rescued us, our text says, from the present evil age. He rescued us from the present evil age. Now, when you hear that phrase, don't go thinking about that last awful horror movie that you saw. You know, with all the paranormal evil activity going on. Okay, don't, don't start thinking about that because that's not what Paul is talking about here. But honestly, honestly, if you do have some paranormal kind of activity going on in your house and you, know, you see like uh, the seven-headed beast from Revelation in your basement, the truth is, you would be far more serious about the things of God than you are now. You and your kids would be huddled up memorizing the New Testament and praying as if your life depended on it. But the truth is, Satan is way more sleek and sly than that. And the present evil age disguises itself in such a way that lulls us to sleep and makes us forget that there is a real spiritual battle going on. And so we start loving creation instead of the creator. We start loving created things instead of the creator. Friends, there is a battle going on. And there is evil that is here. But here's the truth. Here's the gospel. Jesus has rescued us from that evil. He's rescued us from evil. And that's why Paul jumps all over this thing, because it was rearing its ugly head. That's why he's writing this letter. And so now he really gets into the main thing of what he's going to be talking about in his letter. 
And he's not just talking, like he's screaming at this point. I am astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So Paul is amazed. He's marveling. He's wondering. He's astonished how quickly they were deserting him. Notice he didn't say deserting it. They were deserting him, the one who called you to faith. They were deserting the Holy Spirit. They were deserting Jesus, and they were turning to a different message that was not a gospel at all. Evidently, Paul writes, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So as I said, a group of men from Jerusalem called Judaizers, they came down to the churches of Galatia, and they were teaching these new Christians there that in order to fully become a Christian, they had to first become Jews. So they had to be circumcised. They had to obey the dietary regulations. They had to observe all of the festivals. So what they were doing, they were adding things to Jesus. They were over here in gospel perversion number one. They were saying, you got to do these things. So Jesus plus these things equals salvation. And Paul was saying, I'm astonished that you would leave this and you would go over here. Because this is not the gospel. This doesn't set you free. This doesn't save you. This doesn't help you. This only gives you a bunch of rules to follow and it wears you out. The gospel, the gospel is good news. This isn't good news. And then Paul really gets bold. I mean, really bold. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And then he says it twice. And he says it twice because he wants to emphasize it. And he includes not only the angels from heaven, but these people who are teaching. So basically he's saying, if I come back to you and tweak my message a little bit, or if anyone comes to you claiming to be a messenger from God and teaches you something different than this, or for that matter, if you're driving to work and an angel from heaven stops your car in the middle of the road and presents you with a glowing book that has a gospel other than this one, let them be eternally condemned. You know what? It isn't going to happen because there is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. Jesus is the only gospel there is. There is no other gospel. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what saves you. This is what delivers you. This is what sets you free. This is what gives you good news. So, if you drift away from this and you go off into this down here, you are robbing yourself of the joy that is yours because of the gospel. Why would you want to make a trade like that? You have the Lord of heaven and earth. You have a relationship with the God who created the universe and you want to go through the motions instead of truly being with him? You want to try earning him instead of enjoying him? Who wants to make a trade like that? Paul's trying to show how ridiculous that would be and how sad that would be. Finally, he says this. 
He says, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. A little backstory that we'll get into in the coming weeks is this. Paul was being accused of, um, of trying to make the gospel easier so that the Gentiles would believe it. So, so Paul is saying, okay, so if I'm trying to please men, if I'm trying to please people, then why would I write a letter like this? If Paul was trying to please people, why would he have written the letter to Galatians? If Paul was trying to please people, he'd have, been, he'd have written a letter like, hey, you know, congratulations on your 100th circumcision. Good job. Keep it up, guys. Paul would have just been, you know, encouraging them on into this wrong path. But Paul didn't care about pleasing people. So Paul wrote Galatians that reads a little bit more like this. I'm astonished. So if Paul was trying to please people, he would never have written a letter like Galatians. But he cared about their souls. And so he wrote this to save them. So why did Paul write this letter to Galatians? He wrote it to bring us back to Jesus, the only gospel there is. If you are desperately trying to earn what God has already given you, that is no gospel at all. And if you think you're a Christian because you were baptized when you were a little kid, but you haven't been back to church since, that's not the gospel either. The gospel is the joy that God has given you through Jesus. Joy given through Jesus. That's gospel. Joy given you through Jesus. There is no other gospel. Last fall, um, my family and I got to spend a lot of time with my dad in the ICU uh, during his last few days on this earth. There was not a lot of happiness in that room. But there was a lot of joy. Why was there a lot of joy? There was a lot of joy because really one of the last things that he really got to focus me on. Jesus. The only thing that matters. There was not joy because of all the things my dad has done or all that he accomplished in his ministry or or what a good person he was. There was joy Because my dad, a sinner, was rescued from his sins by Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That is the good news. There is no other gospel. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our minds and hearts in faith. Amen.